0: Welcome back to Fortitude, folks. I'm your host J.W. Wilson with my co-host Brenton Payne, and we have a doozy for you today. We have a special guest in the house. Before we get to him, we'll let you stew on that who it might be. But before we get to him, we got a few things to discuss briefly. It seems our Governor Gregory Abbott has taken ill with the virus known as COVID-19. Brenton, did you hear that? Kind yeah, you're like uh, all the rest. You just you, you, everybody's getting on. I mean.
1: You, you,
0: Keep going. Moving I, along, uh, I have a question for you, Brenton. Okay. Now, glad we handled that Governor Abbott question. Uh, do you own a fishing shirt? I do. I have two. I thought you might. I've noticed uh, your usually your standard uniform entails a plaid shirt with khaki pants, but uh, you so you have a couple hanging lovingly in your closet. I know, uh, sounds like. Well, they offer uh, quite
1: a few things. Firstly, I if you if you ever notice like a farm worker, they wear long sleeve shirts in hundred degree heat, and you're kind of going, what is this all about? It is not only sun protection, but also when you sweat, there's this idea that it's cooler than just maybe bare skin baking in the sun. I'm not I'm not sure. But, Interesting.
0: Uh, I appreciate your reasonings. The reason my question is that I've noticed a lot of people around Fort Worth, men generally wearing fishing shirts. So uh, I didn't know if fishing had an, made a serious revival in this city because... Apparently, there's fishermen literally everywhere these days. Well, uh, have you noticed that, too?
1: Now, do you have a lot of tucked in or untucked? Because the way this thing works is the button-down... Has always covered the gut. Right. Better than a t shirt like the, you're wearing. The
0: gentlemen that I usually see wearing them, I don't think they're uh, able to tuck in the front, if you catch my drift. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, are they that comfortable a shirt to wear? I'm, I'm curious.
1: Clearly. They have the mesh like underarms and the back right. vent kind of thing. So who All knows? All right.
0: Well, now that we got that out of the way, it's time to get to our first guest. So we'll be right back with this special guest. <laughs> corner for tattoo he
1: scores from a bad angle off comes the shirt and dallas takes a lead of two to one
2: in this game
0: all right welcome back for tutors Today we have a man by the name of Antonio Carlos Pecorari. You might know him by his more uh, famous name, Tattoo, of famed uh, soccer in the Dallas Sidekicks more more specifically. But Tattoo is in studio with us today. Uh thank you Tattoo for joining us. We are very pr- honored and privileged to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Indeed. Yeah, thanks
1: for being here. And go ahead. And why don't you um announce where he's from because going, I know I'm you guys to, I'm going to <laughs> And here. then Tattoo will correct you.
0: Okay, Tattoo, so from my extensive research, you were born in a little town in Brazil called Marinque.
2: <laughs> did i de- nail it uh, Almost, uh, almost almost how, how would you say it? if you're shooting on goal you'll miss by 20 yards but that's <laughs> yeah. okay say it one more time
0: <laughs> there we go daddy got it nailed
2: it nailed it i think i'm saying that but I'm, <laughs> apparently i'm
0: not so anyway tattoo came to us or came to the united states in 1981 as a 19 year old you'd already been playing soccer for a period of time uh your first play with the Tampa Bay Rowdies, you scored a hat trick on your very first game without ever practicing with the team. Uh, that that was pretty a substantial moment in your life, I think. That transition to the Dallas Sidekicks where you spent 19 years, 84 to 03, you won four championships before retiring in 2003. Looks like you can still play a little soccer now. I'm just just throwing it out there. Um, you I took, still do. You still do? I figure <laughs> yeah. as much. You took over uh, the sidekicks head coaching job from the legendary Gordon Jago. Uh, you also and you played and coached from 98 to 2003 with the sidekicks. You're the only player, and we're just doing some stats on you. We'll go into all these we'll into some nice questions here in a second. But you're the only player in the history of, of indoor soccer to win player of the year and coach of the year in the same season. That's incredible. Nice job. Uh, Your coaching record, 63-53, to with a 7-3 record in the playoffs. Um, On 2010, a team called Sting 95, which we'll ask you about more, won two national titles one week. Never before done that. Uh, You were co-owner and GM and head coach of the Sidekicks in 2012. Did that for three seasons, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, You're currently head coach of the Mesquite Outlaws. That's where you're spending most of your time these days, uh, in the major arena soccer league. Uh, You got to carry the torch in the 2002 Summer Olympics in Salt Lake City. That's a big deal. Uh, Your second all-time in goals, your second all-time in most seasons played, 21, Brenton. And second all-time in points scored with 1584. Second in game-winning goals, 77. um, Indoor Soccer Hall of Fame, 2011. Your jersey number nine, the famous number nine, is now hanging in the rafters where it should be. Where in
1: Reunion Arena? That's not around anymore.
0: <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> well, it's hanging somewhere, but is it in your house?
2: Probably. It's, it's everywhere in my house. Okay. <laughs> uh, awesome.
0: Now that bio's extravagant, so we're gonna we're gonna touch on some points there. But before we get to the the really juicy stuff, we wanted to get to the early parts of your life. So,
1: so how? First of all. You look great. I mean you literally don't look different than when I used to idolize you back in those days and you were playing indoor there for the uh sidekicks. But um yeah, on on what JW said, how did that come about? Like what what was the, the visit in your town or, or how did how did you get here? Like how did how did these things kind of transpire?
2: Well, first of all it was uh, São Paulo had a deal with the Tampa Bay Rowdies, So we going to bring the American young players to train in Brazil and get the young Brazilian players to come and play here. So that was the idea. So, you know, they came in and they did a tryout. You know, first, the, um, you know, I was playing with the, the first team with Sao Paulo and um, there was a deal where they they got some futsal players and, and some, us, some of the, the outdoor players to actually, you know, try the indoor game. Um, you know, it was a situation where it's basically, if you want to do it, do it. If you don't, don't. If yeah. you have any tre- interest to go to the United States, do it. If you don't, don't do it. So I went the first time, it was two days and I guess I did well on the first day. Then the second day I said, I'm, I'm, I have no interest to go to America. You know, I can not speak English. I said, I, I, you know, I'm a small town, Brazil. I said, I'm not traveling. I'm not going nowhere. So I didn't show up for the second time. Suddenly I'm, you know, I'm training with the, with the outdoor team and, you know, the call come in and they said, well, why are you not there? And I'm like, I didn't know I was supposed to be there. Yeah. And they said, no, they specifically asked for you. I said, well, all right. So, you know, get your things, get up there and then let's go. And that's how we start. How old were you at that time? Uh, it was 18. Yeah. You know, I was going to, to 19. So
0: how big was your first contract tattoo? If you mind us asking, <laughs> was it, was it worth mentioning or?
2: No, for me, you know, I was, a, it was way back. I don't remember, but the good thing about those days is, you know, uh, I didn't want to come. Okay. Be honest with you. I had a, uh, hepatitis, you know, the year before. And I promised mom, I said, hell no. we'll You know, we miss Christmas. We miss uh, my birthday and right. we miss carnival, which is big in Brazil then. yeah. Uh, so, you know, I told her, I said, no, we'll, we'll make up for those, those dates. We lost. So then it suddenly came, came an opportunity to come to the United States. So I, I really didn't have no interest. Okay. So, um, I got a lot of la- leverage with that because I didn't want to come, and they say, "Well, we need you to do this because this is important for the the club." Mm-hmm. You know, so um, they came to me and says that we'll give you the loan money. Okay, at that time, you know, it was, man it was I I am going through your numbers. I'm not so sure if this is correct, but it was probably around twenty thirty grand. You know, for eighteen years old, yeah, nineteen eighty. My God, that was a lot of money. I actually I bought, I built. A Five condos in Brazil with Seriously? that money? That money? Yes. Oh, yeah. And paid those hospital bills yeah, from yeah, the FCA. Yeah yeah, huh?
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you went out and sold these condos as you built now them?
2: basically I, I have rental in Brazil because the goal was to come here, you know, play for a couple of years, then go back home. And, and that couple of years turned out to be, you know, my life. So who knew yeah. you were a developer too? That's fantastic. <laughs> well go ahead. Well, you know, for me, this uh, growing up, you know, I, I come from a poor family. You know, I and mean, I know what early on was was bringing it to me was you know, do you want to play this game for name, status, or you want to play to to make a money, make a living? You know, for me, like I said, coming from poor family, I want to do something for my mom. It was very important for me to I want to build something for her, and um, you know, so I I uh, invest everything I got. You know so because the goal was to go back to Brazil so today I own you know over 12 homes in Brazil I rent her out my brother take care you know and he take care of his family off that so Very nice. so it's, it's pretty good so that was the the idea you know is you know I want to make a living out of the game not you know I'm not playing just for the name. for the for the names Surely. So.
0: Mm-hmm. speaking about your childhood real quick when in your life did you know that you were better at soccer than everybody else when did that
2: when did that hit you there was there a, was there a Definitive point in your life, you know. It's, it, it was amazing because for me, you know, I, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, early on, you kind of it's, it's, it's strange because normally, and I don't want to uh, upset our cameraman here, but you know, <laughs> normally with uh, in Brazil with growing up, is if you they put you on goal. That I means because you cannot play on the field.
1: Our cameraman's <laughs> a goalie, just so <laughs> yeah, everyone okay, knows. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> we agree with you. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, or so they you know, they keep saying, Oh no, you're not playing on the field. Yeah. You know, you're gonna play on goal. And I'm like, Why is this? And oh no, you're too good to play on the field. So you're gonna play on goal. So I'm like, Oh, that's great. And uh it was a situation also with uh with my father, you know, because my father you know is it was not a typical you know, relationship where we do here, you know, you're throwing soccer balls and you play in the backyard with football and baseball. Mm-hmm. I never had that with my parents, my right. father. Okay, so it was, you know, he works, you know, very busy, didn't have the time to to be in the backyard and then play with his son. So somebody, in the you know, he used to go in a bar and have a few drinks <laughs> and somebody told him, say, by the way, you know, your son is pretty good. And he's like, my son he say, yeah, he's, you know, he's fantastic. You see, you should go watch him. He's great. So, you know, from that point forward, you know, daddy came to every game. Oh, yeah. And I start, you know, and so he, somebody told me the story. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I know why my dad is coming out watching me. Sure. So,
1: Did your mom too? She came to
2: every game, uh, huh? You know, mommy, mommy came to one game and I played the worst game of my life. Oh, man. I tried so hard to please her. Yeah, and trust me, everything I touch, it went the wrong direction, and I'm like, my God, is the game? I'm, I'm asking to, you know, to do the best I can. I, I really screwed up. Actually, I was sub a halftime, and I feel like, never again. And I so, I feel so bad because that's the one was the most important game in my life, and I, I didn't do well.
0: Nice. We both have wives, so we kind of understand that problem with the mom. I'm just kidding, ladies.
1: <laughs> So can you explain? So well, let me ask this because you brought up futsal and that outdoor. So did you come from the futsal side or the outdoor side when you were brought up into the ranks?
2: Well, we, growing up in Brazil, we play, I play a lot of futsal. I didn't okay. know that had been around. So how long had that been around? Uh, Just- well, well, in, in, the, the futsal has been around forever. But the the real futsal the, today they play in a different. The courts are a little bigger, the fields. Okay, but it's a heavier ball, right? Correct. So it stays you, on the ground? Correct, but mm-hmm. then they also change. Now it's a little more bouncing ball. Before okay. it was very heavy, yep. really stay on the ground. But it was play on a basketball court. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy for you to, you know, you just put two small goals and that was it. Yeah. Um, so I start with that, and I love, actually I love that game because it's, it's, it was very good to develop. You touch the ball a lot. That's mm-hmm. four v four plus the goalkeeper. So uh, I enjoyed the game. Then I turned pro playing the outdoor game. I was with São Paulo playing the outdoor game. Okay. And when I came to America, and I was I came and I played. Uh, the first season was indoor. Then I play outdoor. Then unfortunately, two years later, the league fold. Mm-hmm. So it was no outdoor. And the decision was going back home or stay here, you know, and play indoor. So I decided instead of, you know, go back home and say, no, no, I, I like it. And the money, be honest with you, was much better here than was there. Yeah. There. So I say, I'm, you know, I'm staying and, you know, that's history. So. Yeah.
0: Well, before you, we forget to get to your, your move to the sidekicks, you touched on something about the folding of the soccer league. I've noticed that this happens quite a bit in the world of soccer, especially in indoor. These leagues form, you, you play for them, they win, and several years later, they're, they're gone. Why, why is why do leagues fold so often in, in in the world of soccer? Is that a fair question, <laughs> at least in this country?
2: It, yes. Well, the the the, the problems is this mismanagement and sometimes in the front office. Okay. You know when uh, with the NASL was the outdoor league when the fold in 1983. The problems with when you start that every team start getting greedy and bringing the, the international players, the big name players. Mm-hmm. They had that, a club named New York Cosmos those days Pele played play it, for it, them correct and Pelé was one that, that came they, they brought back in Bauer and, and so it was a mm-hmm. they made a, it was almost like a, a veteran all-star team over the world mm-hmm. and was pretty famous you know I was a kid in Brazil I hear about cosmos they actually play exhibition game in Brazil yeah so it was but what it did is inflate okay the market and so everybody now is Trying to match what New York's New York Cosmos did. Right. The only problem is New York was drawing well, and they have the the, the corporation support, so the, the 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 income and the sponsorship was excellent. Where everybody else trying to do the same, mm-hmm. and there was a no fan fan support, and also the sponsorship was not the same. So a lot of teams went bankruptcy. Uh, then in, in the indoor, the problems that you have sometimes is. You have people who do not have the financial backing to get involved, and but they all believe they have the right answer to do. Okay, and unfortunately, when they come in, they do the sa- make the same mistake as everybody else did in the past, right. and then they cannot sustain, you know, financially, and then it's gone. You know, gotcha. and, and 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 you know to play indoors, is you know the problem. Is you have to rent the arena, is more expensive than than just play futsal in a basketball court. You know, so truly.
1: Really? Well, and then the fans, and you look at how much competition with entertainment, even now, and things like all of those things. So, um, I'm going to go off a little script here. Please, uh, t- so, where you want? <laughs> uh, you always do. I anyway. think about being an 18, 19 year old guy. You're coming here. You're doing it because you, you want to take care of your mom financially. What was the first night in this country like? Do you remember that? Like, <laughs> oh what, yes. What, so,
2: so get, get, can you just bring us to that? Well, I can go back just a little bit. I got to the airplane, you know, they put me on the flight. Normally you're a professional in Brazil, they take care of everything. They check your bags, they they do everything. You do nothing. It's basically you just arrive, get in the plane and everything's great. So they told me, he says, Hey, by the way, it will be someone in, when you arrive in the United States, they'll be waiting for you. Guess what? I arrive in Miami at six o'clock in the morning and I go to the steward and says, Hey, is anybody waiting for me here? They're like what are you talking about? Yeah. Who are you? Yeah, yeah, I was like, Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny because you know, God is wonderful. You know, and in and, and that time he's God was with me every inch of the way because you know instead of panic and go crazy and i said i figured out everybody has to get out of the plane and go get their, their bags so yeah. I say, if i follow them i think i'm going in the right yeah. direction <laughs> the problem is after when i got my bags now everybody's going home and i'm like okay now what mm. you know and i i, I remember i i got in and uh, did not enter door <laughs> and brr, they make a oh, big God. noise. Oh yeah, everybody. And you in the airport in Miami is like a million people, you know, they yeah. all eyes turned to you and you're like, oh my God, there <laughs> we go. Great start that you, good yeah. job. <laughs> you know, it was funny because then the lady, it was a, a Cuban lady that asked, came to me and says, well, you know, I, say, I, I don't speak English, you know, speak slowly, you know, and that was it. And she's like, well, where are you from? I'm, I said, Brazil. She so was like, oh, okay. So she started speaking Spanish with me. Then, you know, got the story short. She just took me to the, you know, to the gate. I says, okay, by the way, your flight leaves at 9.30. Okay. And so just be here. And probably half an hour before you'll be fine. So don't leave the airport. I'm so great. You know, so, uh, you know, I remember walking around, you know, listen to it, all different language. I'm like, my God, what the heck is going on? Yeah. And I remember a guy stopping me one of those old days where the guy's selling books in the airport. I don't know if you guys went through that. And the guy comes in and I, hey, come on, you know, I'm like, no, I speak English. And no, no, well, what do you speak? I'm like, Portuguese. So, oh, I speak Portuguese too. So, I'm like, okay, here we go. I thought I got away with this one, but I didn't. And I finished it up buying the Three musketeers in Spanish. Oh, yeah. But yes. <laughs> I was like, what oh, an idiot. But anyway, then I got to Tampa. Everything was great. They took me out to, to lunch. <clears throat> they told me to go to the airport and this, to the, the hotel and say they just go sign and we'll pay for everything. You know, everything you're excited is great. You know, then in the morning... Comes and I start realizing, so well, I don't speak English. I cannot read in English. So how oh, am geez. I going to order? How am I going to talk? And you know, I was like, this is this is crazy. So that was my first day. You know, I I remember mom and and I and one thing that still surprised me today. Mommy packed me a couple things. You know, the the old mommy, You know, she put a little. I remember the sausage with the tomato sauce inside. I don't know if you guys ever did. You know, so. You know those things, and you yeah. get an apple. Oh uh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't know how I came to. I I went somehow. They allowed because you're not supposed to have food. Then I find out later. you Yeah. Can have, somehow it came through. Nobody stopped me. So I'm now. I'm in the at, the at the the hotel in the room. You know now I'm like, what am I doing? Then I'm like, hey, I have an apple and I have the, you know, the can of, you know, sausage and the tomato and the the sauce inside. And and I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat this. The only thing, I didn't have nothing to open. So I'm hammering the can on the ground to (laughs) open up a dish. And that was my first uh, dinner dinner in America. How (laughs) royal that is. We
0: we assume things have gotten better since then by the fact that you're being here and we're talking to you. Oh, yeah. This that's a great story. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so through Tampa, you make it to Dallas. You get signed by Dallas. That was a, and there was a, a little bit of a legal issue there. For, or saw, but it's Dallas psychics where you name made your name. Your legacy sits there for the for the general most part of your life. You that's you were a Dallas psychic for everybody in this metroplex and in the, in the world for that matter. Tattoo is a Dallas psychic. So, without asking you a million psychics questions, just describe the experience being there and. Being, uh, being part of that team and what it meant to you to be a Dallas sidekick?
2: Man, it, was, it was incredible. You know, it was uh, first of all is, you know, the American fans are just wonderful. You know, I, I always felt welcome here for day one. You know, I could not speak the language, so just smiling. People treat me like I was their own son, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm very appreciative to, to this country, okay? That to me is unbelievable and it breaks my heart when I hear anything negative about America, okay? That to me is, is, is unacceptable. Everything I have, you know, and the way I grow as a person, you know, I own to this country. So so that to me is big. You know, being part of the sidekicks, man, is we had the, the, the ugly days. You know, our first season, we, we won, I think, 12 games. We lost 36. Mm-hmm. It was tough. You know, you, you get there, you, it was hard to compete when you, you, you're you losing all the time. You know, we almost broke the record of most consecutive losses in the beginning of the season. And I remember we actually beat the Cosmos, you know, to not to break the record. So to me, that was big. Yeah. You know, uh, the, then the people, the players, you know, and the, then the fans and the ownership group, you know, we had Donor Carters to, you know, Stan Finney with uh, the Graham family and, and all that was, was wonderful. These people was just, you know, it was a family. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the, the 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 luck to be associated with the Mavericks. You know, I remember flying the, the Mavericks plane. You know, was yeah. a, you know, for us, you know, the, the old days where you go in the airport, you. It takes two, three days for go to play one game on the road, and you fly with the Mavericks plan, and suddenly you you leave at two o'clock in the after afternoon, you play at seven where you are, and you get back home and one yeah. in the morning, yeah. and you don't have to sit in the airport and all the above. So now it, was a, it was a tremendous experience, and winning the championship in 86, 87, the way we did it is wonderful. I'll never forget that. I can close my eyes. It feels like it was yesterday. Yeah. You know, we were playing game seven at Tacoma. They had seats to the, to the arena. Three minutes left in the game. We're down three to one. The announcer already... You know, telling their fans to you stay sit to get the, the, the championship trophy, and they will present the the runner-up trophy to the sidekicks. And mm-hmm. you know, you're playing the game, and you listen to that. Then suddenly, you know, we pull the goalkeeper. You know, we go with six attacker, and it never work. Yeah, you know, be honest yeah. with you, is a is a is a toss up. And uh, man, we went from down three to one to tie the game three three you know, and finish it up winning on overtime. And I, I remember too at this moment, what you look at the people's face, it's like 22,000 people, you know, with their eyes wide open, you know, just stunned. Yeah. They didn't know what the heck happened. Yeah. And we all just jumping and going crazy, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and that was one of the the, the, the few games where we have traffic coming right, to the right, right. to the arena. So it's uh you know, it was it was wonderful. You know, I'm very thankful to our Lord and to to, to everyone, to to the fans and to the people here because it was, it was it was a wonderful time. Yeah. So can you explain the history of taking
1: the shirt off when you score the goal? Is there something ceremonial about that or or did it just what happens there?
2: Well, basically, with the, the guy, the American guy went to Brazil and he watched a game. Okay, we had a guy in Brazil who scored the goals. He used to name his goals, so he used to, you know, let's say he give the president's name. So tonight I'm going to score, you know, uh, Joe Biden's goal. Okay, and the guy goes and he scores. So everybody's expectation in one game, and he says he's going to take your short off. And you know, in the other game you take the short off. You will. The old days you get a red card. Now you get yellow. So everybody's like, oh, the idiot, you know, if you score a goal, don't take your shirt because you're gonna get a red. Yeah. You know, and he took his shirt off and had another one under. So yeah. everybody's like, oh, wow, nice. that's great. So the guy watched him do that and he says, hey, Tattoo, you know, uh, do it. You know, so the first game in Tampa, you know, he says, I said we'll have a people around waiting for you with a jersey. So I scored a goal, and I'm, I was scared to death. I said, Henry, if I throw my jersey and it's not another one, then now what? I'll be topless the whole damn game, and it'll be the most embarrassing thing in my life. So I didn't do it. So I go back to halftime, and he comes in, and he was mad. We, I thought we agreed something you're supposed to do. I'm like, I'm sorry. I was scared, to be honest with you. And suddenly he said, no, if you score, make sure you take it off. And I did it. You know, and everybody was went crazy. Yeah. You know, and you know, the old days, you you're young, I long hair, and yeah. you know, you have, you know, tampa, you get a nice tan, yeah. So I I look all right. Yeah, so you I were said, fit, like, though. okay, yes. Yeah. So you're like, okay, that was that was it. Then when I came when we came to the psychics, you know, Donald Carter You know, he's he's a Baptist. He did not, he didn't like the idea because he felt like it was more sexual type of, Mm -hmm. you know, he didn't want to be associated with that. They finished it up convincing him about a good idea. Mm -hmm. You know, and for early on, it was good because a lot of the media people and the TV guys, they didn't know nothing about soccer. But it was easy to talk about the crazy guy who would have to score a goal. He take his shirt off. So we got a lot of, you know, Mileage of that, of publicity for so the team. We're and gonna that,
1: do the same with our show. JW is gonna do it yeah, though. They,
2: they, you look, you guys will look great. We'll, we'll do that off <laughs> off camera for sure. But, uh, yes, yes. Hey, the ladies are coming, so are uh, you guys yeah, okay? Yeah. See, no, they're not coming for me. I can tell you
0: that. Not really coming for you. Yeah. What? Uh, how many jerseys did you say you would you say you took off in your career?
2: Well, basically, the the beginning we would do on the uh, home and on the road, so it was a kind of you Know, kind of embarrassed sometimes on the mm-hmm. road throwing the shirt. So, uh, I would say probably 75% of the goals I score, you know, I throw the jersey, you so know, some
0: thousand, thousand times maybe. Well,
2: but was, was probably let's say around. Six, seven hundred times.
0: 600. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of so,
2: times. Yeah, yeah. It was one game. You know, we, we run out of jerseys. The guy came to me and said, "Hey, if you score again, don't do it because so we don't have They had enough. a
0: backup jerseys did, did, on the bench yeah, for you. Oh yes. How many would they carry? Uh, probably just, six, seven, eight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's it just incredible.
1: Okay, I'm going to play. We're going to wrap it up here, but I'm going to play a sound. I want you to. I want you first thing that comes to mind when you hear this. What the feeling is. <laughs> <laughs> What's that make you think of when you hear that? Uh, feels great.
0: <laughs> well, before you go, tell us about the Mesquite Outlaws real quick, because we we've been following these oh, yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we We tell us how the team is, how you guys doing, and how
1: we can get our fans to look at the site or get out there and watch you guys play.
2: Uh, at, at this moment, we uh, is off season, so it's it starting in December, and um, you know, great, great group, great relationship with uh, the ownership. The uh, uh, guy who's Iranian, he plays. Uh, before they play soccer before, so it's not just a guy who wants a franchise, so he loves for the game. He actually tried out with the Dallas, Dallas Tornadoes in 1970 so he didn't make it so it's a it's a good environment it's a, it's a good opportunity for the local players you know we bring a couple of guys from the outside, yeah. definitely because we mesquite We, we bring some uh, Mexicans uh, players in so it's a it, it, it's kind of fun. You know, yeah. you now it's easier to tell the guys to run and you don't have to run. <laughs> yeah. You tell them run faster, you that's mm-hmm. okay, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh it's, it's good to be uh, on the both sides. The only bad thing about it is you're not in, in control anymore. So when you're play you can decide the resu- decide the result. Mm-hmm. As a as a coach you depend on the other on the guys to do what you ask them to do. So that's the difference,
0: right? Oh, well, so we got we can't end on that since you just said that you head coached, you ownered, you owned, and you played on the same team. How really quickly? How does that? How does that even work?
2: How do you own, coach, and play on the same team? Very difficult, you know, because this is the problem is when when you coach, you have to lead by example. So it's very difficult to... You know, and when you get older too, it's the end of your career. So you tell the guys to do one thing and, and you're not capable of doing you know, anymore. So it's harder. Training, you tell, hey, I want you to give 100%, but if you're old, you have to manage your, 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 your energy. Sure. So it's a little difficult because sometimes you cannot back up your words. So it, it gets very difficult in the relationship. And sometimes the guys are afraid to deal with you as a player because they know you're the, you're the boss. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's a very uncomfortable and I definitely do not recommend to anyone because it's, when you come to the bench, now you turn to be a coach. So now you have to watch the game as a coach, now as a player. And when you're on the field, you have to act like a player, not as a coach. So it's a, it's 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 a little confusing, but you know, it was I did it because it was it was ask. Be honest with you. Sure. And, you know, in the, those days, sometimes one salary is better to deal than two. Yeah. So I say, okay, I, I would do it if it was to help the teams. So.
0: I got to be honest with you, Tattoo. There are not many people on the planet that actually would have the opportunity to do that. So uh, your recommendation to not try it, I, we can appreciate <laughs> it. But there's not too many people that could pull it off like you did. So well, I appreciate it. One last Tatu. question. if you...
1: uh, Yeah. Real, real quick, though, about club soccer. So talk about that a little bit and the impact that it's having in this North Texas area as you're doing what you're
2: doing now. Well, it's amazing the way it's evolving. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's turned out to be a business. You know, I think that's the the difficulty about everything is, you know, you need to pay a fee to play the game, you know, and that that's the sad part. But I think the overall, the quality of the coaching and the development of the of the player, you know, the opportunities arrive, you know, to go to college and all the above. I think is is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, you know, I think this is. is I wish you know the the I had this when uh, I was growing up. Yeah, you know yeah. because it's and the, the quality of the coach, the things you know, quality coaches are telling the the players today. I wish I I've been told that when I was ten, and I was you know I learned a lot on the, on the street. Yeah, and uh, those kids in this this country have something very special. Like I said, if I would have changed one thing, is uh, I would let everybody play for free. Because if I, if my parents have to pay for me to play, I would not be able to play because they could not pay. So, okay. We, we, real quick to
1: just end it out. Uh, We ask all our guests this. No, you can't do family because we know that that's going to be this, but you just got to kind of put the, the, the givens away. What was the best day
2: of your life? Best day of my life. Well, you, you mentioned, but not family. Definitely my kids. Borning was it. We can't, was it. Yeah, we okay. can't accept okay. that I, I answer. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I will go be honest with you with, uh, you know, winning the championship, 1986, 87. That was special. Like I says to you was when you're the underdog and you accomplish something where nobody believes you can, that was wonderful. How did you celebrate that night? My goodness, I remember uh, walking and uh, my ex-father-in-law was there with six, in bottles of champagne in the lobby, we just walk in and it just—it went crazy. It was a it was a wonderful night. We really enjoy. I think we had a a very nice flight back from Seattle to Dallas, and so. and we had a over five thousand people in the in the. In the airport waiting, waiting for, for you. Us. Yeah, yeah, that no, was we remember.
1: You weren't searching for a can opener open uh, no, the no, can no, of no, no, Weenie's no no, no, no,
0: no. <laughs> well, Tattoo, it's been a privilege and honor to have you on our show. Thank you for joining us. We're huge fans. You've done so much for this city and this town. So thank you for everything. I appreciate it. Thank yep. you,
2: guys. It's been fun.
0: line the Tattoo, right side. double team by Mason. Tattoo comes along with the he <laughs> Tattoo tries to go around. Mason gets the shot
1: off. It's 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 it. The Dallas Sidekicks, it's 1987 MISL Champions! Yes. Tattoo with a blunt blast. Combin with the goal. The Dallas Sidekicks
2: have won! Down two goals with 2.48 remaining in the fourth period. Everybody Thing was set up for Tacoma to be the champion. You know, and as and to win it, I think it took a while to, to really realize. This incredible story has finally come to an end
0: and they will live happily ever after. Incredibly, the sidekicks have won the championship. <laughs> Smith, isn't
2: that the truth? We're just a balloon, you know. We, you know, we always expect somebody to be there, but not five, six thousand people, and that was great. line in the streets of Dallas um, and I was a bit concerned about it over 10,000 I mean it just was surprise upon surprise and, uh, and the emotion that we all felt at that time uh, as I've said then uh, if we live to be a hundred years if we win championship, after championship